Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Updates on arts and entertainment. Interviews with celebrities and marquee guests. This is WSJ Speakeasy. Coming up, we're talking to poet Stacey Ann Chin, who has a new show, Motherstruck, produced by Rosie O'Donnell and directed by Sex and the City star Cynthia Nixon. Take us with you on the train, in the car, on your walk, at the gym. WSJ Podcasts, sound ideas for the digital age. Hey, this is Christopher John Farley, a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. Today, our guest is Stacey Ann Chin, who, of course, is a poet, and she's starring in her own one-woman show, Motherstruck. Stacey Ann, thanks for talking to the Wall Street Journal. Thank you so much for having me on, Chris. Well, I saw the play the other night. It's a one-woman show. It talks about your journey to become a mother. And one thing I was thinking about as I was watching the show is, because it delves so deep into issues of motherhood, issues of being a single woman looking for a girlfriend. I'm wondering, what are your former girlfriends and friends and family and sperm donors think about being put into your show? <laughs> well, I think uh, the uh, the former, the, the sperm donor, it, everyone who has been in the show, who has been to see the show, have been remarkably happy to stand and take a bow from uh my 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 mother-in-law, which is a very odd, you know, phrase because it's I don't want to give too much of it away. But you know, from the mother-in-law to the the the, the donor uh, to the you know my gay BFF uh, to my doula, everyone was just happy to take a bow. I think everyone really loved the show because I think I did a very good job of making sure that you know the best parts of the characters I think are are showcased, um, you know, humanity is complex and, and wonderful and crazy and sometimes uh, questionable and, and, um, and, and challenging. But I think all the time it's beautiful. Now, you wrote a memoir um, a couple of years ago in which you wrote, um, there are days when I yearn to know exactly what happened to spark the very beginning of me. Now, your daughter, of course, will have a completely different take on life because she will know um, everything that went into your quest to become a mother. How do you think that yeah. might make her life different? I worry that, uh, you know, she's four years old now, so I worry that in another 15, another 12 to 15 years, we will hear the flip side of that comment from her on somebody's expensive couch where she would be telling someone, I yearn to have a bit of mystery about what sparked <laughs> the beginning of me. <laughs> because isn't that just how things are? You know, the grass is always greener on the other side. It's my greatest fear that uh, I've created such an antithesis of a life for my own kid uh, to the life that I had as a kid, where I, I imagine um, many people and myself would see my experiences as largely traumatic um, and so I've created this other world where my, my daughter's life is completely different from mine in so many ways. Um, but I imagine that that will have um, its own challenges for her. And I, I don't sit in the place where I imagine that the life I'm creating for my kid is going to be the most amazing and she'll be the most grateful person in the whole world. I suppose she will come at me and tell me where it is 
the, you know, my deficit, where my deficits are. But, uh, you know, I, I imagine that what she would probably come out of it, how she would probably come out of it differently is that perhaps she'll have a, a, a few more tools and a bit more confidence and maybe, maybe, maybe she won't have, have as many hang-ups as I did to get over. And so she probably wouldn't have to spend so much time on the, the therapy couch. Now, of course, you have some big-time celebrities associated with Motherstruck. Rosie O'Donnell produced it. Cynthia Nixon from Sex and the City, she directed it. Now, what do you do to direct a one-woman show? What kind of help, what kind of guidance, what kind of thoughts did she share with you to help you shape the material into the show you have today, Cynthia Nixon? I think Cynthia began um, uh, the process with me by looking at the script. And she worked really closely with me as I worked with the script. You know, no line was too small for deep consideration with Cynthia. And I'm, I remain quite grateful for the, the work we did on the script um, together. I, I think she's, she's a remarkable storyteller. Excuse me. She's a remarkable storyteller. And, uh, you know, she, her eye for detail is... You know, astounding. You know, she, she. You know, I, I joke and tell people that I don't think she sleeps, but almost never. You, you almost never get anything over on her. Nothing slips by her. She's almost always aware of every single nuance, every single uh, question, every challenge, every you know notion that could be. Uh, I don't know. This, if 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 I were to say uh, Cynthia did anything with the story, is that she insisted that we look at at it as a a, a a a a a canvas which has so many threads, so many different uh, bre- uh, brush strokes, uh, so many different pencil lines on it. Like we never took any of it for granted, and she always she was always very deeply involved in in, in the minutia. Uh, you know, I think I, I had a fairly good idea of of the larger sweep of the play, you know, the, 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 the great story I want to tell, you know, the, um, the, the, the great traumas I want to highlight. But I think that she was particularly good at making me see that within those stories were a hundred other stories that needed to be themselves visible and therefore would uh, add to the richness of the story. And at some of your upcoming performances, you're actually going to have these kind of talkback sessions where Rosie O'Donnell and Cynthia Nixon are going to show up there and help answer questions from the audience. Yes, uh, you know, if 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 um if 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 Cynthia is you know is is is, is uh if Cynthia lives inside of the the minutia of the play, you know, the very small lines, uh, Rosie has a, 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 a an uncanny knack for seeing the larger story right away. After having heard the play only once, she made a few uh, suggestions that. You know, at first I resisted, and you know, six months later we ended up doing the exact same thing that she suggested because it was the right way to go. Uh, you know, so they've been really supportive of my work. Very, you know, great, great, great supporters, great fans of the work, great believers in the in lots of the politics I share. You know, they're both you know feminists. They're both women who believe women should have different choices. They're both they both believe that motherhood is a very complex thing and it's a thing of choice. And, and you know, we all came to motherhood in very different ways. You know, Rosie's adopted. Cynthia has, you know, partnered with, uh, you know, 
she had a male partner before and had children, and then she had uh, uh, her wife is, it, you know, it gave birth to their last child. You know, Rosie has adopted many children, and then I went and did IVF on my own, own as a single mother. It, it, I think the three of us together make quite the representation of a non-traditional motherhood in a lot of ways. Now, of course, most people know you as a poet. You know, they may have seen you on 60 Minutes or Oprah. You were on Broadway for Russell Simmons' Deaf Poetry Jam on Broadway back in the day, and um, and you, you know, you appeared at the New Yorkian Poets Cafe. And I wonder, what was the transition like to sort of turn your, your poems and your blog posts into something that's dramatic, that's on stage, that's prose. Was that a difficult transition for you? I think it was a gradual transition. I'm interested in stories, and so um, I I pride myself on being able to follow the story where it takes me. So this, this, this entire story began as a blog, and then there were maybe a couple of poems that were written in response to either traumatic or joyous events. And then they found themselves inside of the prose that was created around the the blogs and, you know, the kind of like dramatic art that we had to create. And we had to file things away, snip, cut, turn, twist. Um, it, it was an arduous process, but it was a good process. I, I learned so much about storytelling and gave myself over to, to this story more than I have any other story. My own life is laid out here in a way that... It's um, it's it's a little astounding to me when you began by asking me about all the people who, uh, how do they feel about being featured in the play? And so many of the characters from the play are still in my life who show up and um, you know, come to the play and and are introduced and you know, meet people and you know, uh, another friend of mine, the one I visited in Canada, she's on her way here tomorrow morning, Raquel. She, there's it's just these amazing stories that, uh, you know, the first couple of shows I did, the first couple of uh, stories that I've written, those characters were, uh, most of those stories were about trauma and, um, and and exploitation and violation. So I don't have a lot of relationships with those people, which is in, insanely different on this show in that the, the family that I've created for myself and for my daughter are mostly present and they show up, whether they show up in 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 um in in the theater itself, or they show up online sharing me on from afar. But there's a, a sense that this is a communal story. It's a great story. It's a good story with lots of universal challenges and you know obstacles that feel very very present and very very much the story of almost everybody's life, even if they seem specific to Brooklyn or specific to being lesbian or specific to being black or specific to being an immigrant or specific to being a fem- feminist. I mean, it, they, they just, uh, you know, I've had straight white men come up and love the show and weep and hug me and say, this is my story, uh, you know, because the themes are about belonging and about finding family and about seeking the thing that you want that seems so impossible and going after it and reaching high and, um, you know, facing the, 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 the things about yourself that make you feel as if you can't have what you you ought to, what you feel you ought to have. One other thing that I wondered about um, when I saw the show is, I, it's interesting to see you having a, a whole sort of project about becoming a mother, because there's a poem that you did once, 
called If Only Out of Vanity, one of your most well-known poems. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because you do such a great job of doing it, obviously. I, I could never compare to that. But there's a line you start off saying, If Only Out of Vanity, I've wondered what kind of woman will I be? And you kind of project yourself in the future and wonder what kind of woman you might be when you have kids, etc. What would the Stacey Ann Chin who wrote that poem think of Motherstruck, do you think? I think she would be completely surprised, pleasantly surprised, with how well Stacey Ann has grown up. Uh, that I, I don't think I've lost my, um, my, my activist kind of radical politics that I began with, but I don't think that I have been so uh, inflexible and, you know, um, unable to grow that I... Um, that I, 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 I wasn't able to move forward in my own growth and, and, and to, to, to chart new features. Um, you know, the Stacey and I am now for certain is, you know, I failed myself tremendous uh, on, on many occasions, tremendously on many occasions, and I've, 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 um, I've certainly uh, surpassed my expectations many, many, many times. And I suppose that's what that's what being human is. You sometimes you do better than what you thought you would do, and sometimes you don't do quite as well as you hoped you would. Um, you know, I certainly uh, you know over the years, the years between that poem and now, I certainly had uh, many, many, many love affairs. I've um, you know I've I've I've, I've hurt some people. I've been hurt by some people. I've been disappointed by some people. I've written some work that's not as good. I've written some work that has been better than I thought I could write. Um, and I, I'm a mom who, 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 who has a daughter who is, has a, a loud activist voice, um, you know, and, and I work very hard to make sure that what she thinks, you know, how she feels remains a part of the conversation, even while I'm trying to guide her into a more radical politics. I mean, it, it's 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 a it's a weird crazy dance, you know that that um some days I think I, I'm doing quite well and some days I I know I'm feeling miserably and, and I think that echoes the um the emotions of almost every mother I know. Well, we're gonna be right back talking with Stacey Ann Chin about her new one woman show, Motherstruck, which is at the Culture Project in New York City. We'll be right back after this break. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Traveling on business? Then take us along and stay on track. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, updates on arts and entertainment, interviews with celebrities, and marquee guests. This is is WSJ Speakeasy. Hey, this is Christopher John Farley, a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. We're talking to Stacey Ann Chin, who is the woman behind the new one-woman show, Motherstruck, which is at the Culture Project in New York City. You can learn more by going to cultureproject.org. Stacey Ann, again, thanks for talking to the Wall Street Journal. I'm happy to be here, Chris. You know, there's a line that was once written by the, the poet Rainer Maria Rilke. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a prose line where he, he wrote, for the sake of a single poem, you must see many cities, many people and things. You must understand animals, must feel how birds fly, and know the gestures which small flowers make when they open in the morning. And he goes on to talk about how to write a single poem, you have to have a lot of experiences. And that's that triggered in me the question of how do you go about composing your poems? Can you walk me through the process by which a poem sort of arrives in you 
and then later come, become something that you can actually perform or deliver on stage or on the page? I think uh, it might come in, 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 in one of many ways. I think there are moments when I am struck as if by lightning and uh, a poem pours out of me in its entirety, at least in its form and its shape. And then the process after that is about editing and, you know, kind of polishing and buffing. And then there are others that begin as a kind of feeling or a moment or something arrests you in just for just one second, but it's really just a half of a thought or a hint of a feeling. And you live with that feeling and it's echoed and re-echoed and it grows with that echoing. And uh, at some point you place pen to paper and it, 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 um, it, you know, often you have to kind of pull it out of you and you write the first draft. And, you know, by the time you get to the fifth draft, it's, it's an entirely different uh, story, a different narrative, a different poem, a different feeling. Um, so it can happen in, in, in a number of ways, but I think more often than not in these days, it's a hint of a feeling. It's a, it's an experience. It's, you know, uh, you walk down the street and it's fall and you see the first changing leaf or you see the first greening of spring, or you see, you know, you hear an argument between two people on a corner or you hear Donald Trump speak for the political, um, poem makers out there. There, there's so many, um, so many ways that, that that you're triggered, and then you kind of make room for that triggering. You you say, okay, I will clear a, a, a section of my my brain's counter, and I will wait for this thing to grow, you know, like a plant or a fungus or whatever it's going to be. But you leave room for it to grow, and you you tend to it, and you come back to it, and you ask questions of it, and before you know it, you have a poem. Um, and, and, and the poem that you finish writing on the page might end up being a, an, a completely different thing by the time you, you've performed it four or five times because you hear parts of it that don't work. You, um, you learn new things from your audience in terms of their responses, which um, make you change a word or an entire paragraph or, you know, some nights you make a mistake and all of a sudden the mistake becomes a very wonderful edit. Um, you know, according to Rilke, it sounds like, you know, you can't be closed off to one idea of a poem or that you have to just be really open to whatever your experience, your senses, your feelings, your uh, just, you know, your, your, your interaction with the world at large takes you to that. You have to leave room and you have to follow it. You have to it has to be this kind of um, symbiotic dance between yourself and the ideology, the, 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 um, the words, the, the, the sentences, you know, there's so many things, you know, sometimes I, I think, um, uh, you know, I write a rhyme down and it doesn't really make sense uh, it, to me when I read it out loud because it doesn't sound the way that I envisioned it sounding out loud. And so the rhyme becomes something different. It might not become a, a rhyming poem anymore. It might become a, a thing that I rhyme differently. Uh, and these poems are, are, constantly in flux and I think the more you read a thing out loud the more it becomes a thing that changes so uh, I have two young kids and I find myself you know playing poetry for them reading it with them when you do that you want to show them the best stuff so it really um, forces you to sort of edit out your collection and really bring the best stuff to them you know like I find myself reading them Derek Walcott and Lennox and Hughes and Neruda and Sylvia Plath and Elizabeth Bishop, Claude McKay, people like that. And I'm wondering, what poems do you find yourself sharing with your daughter? Uh, 
You know, I think that um, some of the best poems are written in children's books. Hmm. I think uh, because, you know, the art of poetry is meant to be, even if it isn't heard out loud, it is heard inside the head. Um, so I, I think that when people write children's books, you know, particularly books written by writers who are concerned with the process of writing and not just um you know, the, um, the, the, the lessons that we want to pass on to children. Like I find that, um, that, 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 you know, Bell Hooks has some kids' books that are, are great, uh, you know, books about animals, books that stay away from gender, books that, uh, you, you know, that, 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 that are, are concerned with, you know, being good to each other, being kind to each other, being good to the world, uh, books that, uh, challenge the idea of um of what girls what boys should be uh you know what black kids should be you know it's funny how you say that you know a friend of uh, of ours gave Zuri um this the the soundtrack for the musical Hamilton for for Christmas hmm. and um you know I, I thought to myself she she won't like it that much because it's so complex in its ideas and um and even in the rhyme scheme uh, and I put it in, and, and I hear her in the back seat singing along with it now because it plays in the car all the time. Um, but but there's a way that it doesn't matter where the poetry comes from. Children, I think, more than adults respond to poetry because the sound of it is musical, because uh, the, the language of poetry is feeling. Um, and so I think she just responds to things, you know, whether it's, it's it's my own poetry that she hears, or it's um, poems that are embedded in in um, children's books, or or poems that you read. I think I don't know if you know. I don't know if I agree with you that there's any kind of list of best of. The older I get, the less I I believe in the idea of best of. It's really just what's best for you. And you know, I I, I have you know all the names you listed. I love them too, and I love others that maybe people don't know that much. You know, um, Linton Coisey Johnson is as different from Derek Walcott as he could be, but I find them equally moving. You know, um, one of the great dub poets. Yes, absolutely. Um, you, you know, there's, there's Lorna Goodison, who is uh, from Jamaica, uh, who her poems are not necessarily um, rhymes or, or even in the in the in the idea of the dub poetry. Uh, uh, you know style, but it certainly um, has a rhythm to it and, and a beauty to it and colors and, and, and lines and, and language. And I think if poetry becomes a part of your life in terms of how you speak to the kid, in terms of how she hears it in the mouths of people around her, in, in, the, in the music she listens to, in the... I think that it shouldn't be like, okay, we're listening to poetry now. I think that it should just exist in different ways. Like, as I said, you know, it could be in, in the musical... Uh, Hamilton, the, the soundtrack. It could be in, in a poem that you read to the kid. It could be in the in the way that you talk when you can say when Zuri likes to tell me like, oh, you know, you ha- you have my whole heart, Mama. Can you give me back some of it? And I say, okay, here, and I pretend to give her back. I mean, that act I think is in itself a, a small. At least it uses the language of, of poetry because I'm certainly not. We're not speaking about a. a, a an, an actual literal heart, so it, it's in the language of the poetics. You know, we just live in it, I think. Well, it's interesting that you should mention Hamilton, because when I saw that play, I actually thought it connected to your story, because, of course, 
Alexander Hamilton is from the Caribbean. Originally, that's where he was born. He's an immigrant yes. who came to the U.S., and the play is all about how immigrants help power the American story. And yes, one, you know, immigrants, we get the job done. Exactly. <laughs> it's what he said to Lafayette in one sort of pivotal moment of the play. But I was wondering, seeing Motherstruck, um, you talk about how more and more, you know, you feel at home in Brooklyn. You feel at home in the U.S. in certain ways. And I'm wondering, do you feel any kind of dulling of your sort of immigrant edge, something that may have given you an advantage, something that may have given you an outsider perspective in the past? Um, I, I think that I was afraid of that, which is why for 20 years I didn't um, apply to become an American citizen. But I think over time it has become apparent to me that it is not where you are that drives how you think, but um, how often you leave where you are and how much time you spend elsewhere. Uh, because, you know, uh, I think definitely, I mean, you know, Jamaicans look outside of Jamaica because it's only an island and because so much of what we use every day uh, comes from outside. But living in America, I think, and living in a place like New York, even if you're here all the time, you can't but help. You can't help but think about outside of New York because there's so many immigrants here. It's like a city of immigrants, which is... um, for a long time, it made me feel as if I was kind of not in America. But, you know, because the politics of place and and, and, and resource and privilege, all those things are so complicated that you can't just say, because I live in a more, uh, in, in, a, in a city that has more immigrants in it and with, with people who are more concerned about the rest of the world, you, you can't exactly say that you aren't of America or you aren't an American. So the two things are, you know, complex and perhaps even diametrically uh, opposed to each other inside of the, you know, the, 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 um, the, the kind of closed pod of America. But I'm also an artist who travels quite a bit. And I think that there's no time, <laughs> no, there's no large, long time that I don't travel to other places and engage in conversation about who we are as a people who live in America, who we are as people who do not live in America. I think you can't escape that conversation if you are even vaguely conscious and are vaguely present in kind of conversations around global responsibility and global change and global power and global privilege and global, global perspective. Okay, so of course you're in this one-woman show, Motherstruck, that people can see the Culture Project in New York City and they can learn more by going to cultureproject.org. A few months ago, it was in the news that the Culture Project had some financial difficulties and they had to push the play back a little bit. Did that affect the development of the show at all? Did that filter down to you as an artist, or how did you deal with that postponement? I don't think um, it affected the art at all, because we were almost ready to go up by the time we, we, um, we, we canceled um, that production. Um, you know... At the time when it happened, it felt like the world had ended. You know, I was working so hard on this play, and we all were so kind of focused towards getting the play up. And then, you know, then comes this kind of crazy spanner in our wheel. And I've come to find out that um, almost every uh, theater production, you know, that's kind of like par for the course. You know, like ours was fairly dramatic in that it happened so close to opening. I think two or three days before opening, before um, before our first preview, but 
I hear that this is kind of like the norm, like, you know, um, you know, drama begets drama, and suppose we're making drama, and therefore it begets more drama behind the scenes. Uh, but more than anything, I think, uh, what's interesting about this idea is that getting Motherstruck up has certainly um, mimicked the process of becoming a mother. You know, the difficulty with which it took to get it up, the, um, you know, all of the false alarms, all of the obstacles that, you know, feel like, you know, miscarriages, like all of the ways in which, you know, my becoming a mother was difficult. Um, the show has certainly mirrored that. And it's kind of, it, it's a kind of beautiful irony to, 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 to reference, actually. Okay, well, we've been talking to Stacey Ann Chin, who is, the woman behind the new one-woman show, Motherstruck, that you can see at The Culture Project and find out more at cultureproject.org. Stacey Ann, thanks for talking to The Wall Street Journal. Thank you so much for having me. And anyone can like hit me up on like my Twitter account or like Facebook or whatever. Feel free. Okay, well, great. Thanks a lot. Big, big love, Chris. Okay, bye. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.